Morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and uh, these guys will be glad to give you one. You can take your Bibles today and turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. I dropped, Peter started praying, and I picked up my Bible and dropped it, and stuff went everywhere. So I'm going to get halfway through the sermon and go, where's page two? And somebody will be hiding it back there. I think Taylor probably picked it up, stuck it in his pocket, but we will find it. Colossians chapter four. There's a whole lot going on now that school has started back, and all that we've got going on, and I know next week, Russ going to share at the end, we're going to start our Wednesday night program. We've got starting point, I think it's going to be in next week. And if you're interested in starting point, find out about that. Steve Nance will be here afterwards. And as you can probably see, I'm rocking this incredibly beautiful T-shirt. <laughs> so... Not, not a whole lot of people can do that well, but I can't. So, if you would like one of these incredibly beautiful Go t-shirts to go with that, our Go campaign, this table over here where the McCarters are sitting, you can get, have a t-shirt as well. You can have a blue one, you can have a gray one, you can have a blue one or a gray one. And there are, for, for the small cost of $10 a shirt. So um, if you'd like one, you can go over to the table afterwards, and Annette, Kevin will be there, and if you give them $10, and you pick up whichever shirt you'd like. And we have several people that are rocking them well. Some of them look better in them than I do, but that's a, a different question. So if you'd like one of our Go T-shirts, they are there, and will be there throughout the next couple of months. And... One of the things we're going to begin to talk about today as we get into September is four disciplines that we as believers want to focus on this month in our lives as Christians, four disciplines that we're going to look at over the next four weeks in the month of September as we begin begin to go and pray for our neighbors. In September, we're going to walk our neighborhoods or drive our neighborhoods or sit at your home in your neighborhood and pray specifically for your neighbors. Then in the month of October, we're going to go back in our neighborhoods and we're going to go door to door and leave some information about Christ Church and the gospel. And we're just kind of excited. And I shared this with you a little bit last week. and We're really going to focus on it today. If nothing else happens out of this go campaign, and I don't like the word campaign, but that's what we're using. So If nothing else comes out of the Go campaign but the following, I'm thrilled as your pastor. And here it is, that you and I and our Bartlett campus, that we as individual believers begin to pray for our neighbors. Some by name, you know their names, you pray for them by name. If you don't know their name, and you get, like my next door neighbor would be 6,008 Aubrey Ranch Drive. Well, I know them, and I've met them, and I I know their names. So I can pray for them by name. But when I get down to 6,032, I don't know their names. But I can pray for those that live in that house. 
I can pray for where they live on Longhorn, they live on Dusty Field, or, or which is also known as the interstate. If they live on, on any of those streets in my subdivision, I can pray for them. And as I walk through their neighborhood, my neighborhood, I can pray for those. As we, as we said last week, one of the things that's most exciting for us as believers to understand is you will never encounter a human being that Jesus didn't die for. You will never have a neighbor that Jesus Christ did not die for that individual's sins. And Jesus says to us, love your neighbors. He summed up, I'm sharing with my class this morning, he summed up the scriptures very simply. They asked him, Lord, what's the greatest of the commandments? And he summed up, he said, on the following, hang all the law and the prophets, or what they would have called as Jews, the scriptures, or we would call the Old Testament. He said, all of that hangs on these two principles. Love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, very profound statement. We love ourselves. We want the best for ourselves. And if we're Christians, we have found the very best, a personal relationship with the God who is there, the only God who is God through his son, Jesus Christ. We have that. It is our current possession as children of God. We need to love our neighbors enough to pray that they have that as well. Pray for them. Pray for I have some prayer cards if you'd like. I've got some now for those of you that were met with us last Sunday. I've got some prayer cards now in my office. And if you'd like a prayer card, I've got one to give to you to show one of the, when you, as you're walking, how you might want to pray specifically. I've got some of those. But if nothing else, you just begin to pray for them, for an opportunities, for you or someone else to share the gospel with them, for boldness to interact with them. You don't have to go up and threaten anyone. You just love them and find out where they are, what's going on in their lives, who they are, and let them know that you care. And then we'll go back in the month of October and give them some more information. And they, if they want to contact the church, you're not going to be asked to do anything that's scary. You're not going to be asked to do anything that is threatening. And what you may find as you pray for opportunities and you pray for boldness, guess what God's going to give you? Opportunities and you're thinking, ain't no way he's giving me boldness. Well, I would have thought the same thing about my sweet wife, but uh, God just kind of showed, had a great illustration for us over the last week or so, that he's bigger even than Mary. God is God. And he, his will for us is to pray for our neighbors. And if you become genuinely concerned for their soul, care about them, through your prayer life, here's what's going to happen. You're going to benefit from it. You're personally going to grow spiritually. That's just the way it is. Chris, you do me a favor and turn the air down one. I know you hate to turn the air down, but turn it down one notch. I think it's getting warm now. All right, turn to Colossians chapter 4. And so as we look at these four disciplines in our lives over the next four weeks in September, as we go praying for our neighbors, the first discipline we're going to look at today is the discipline of prayer in our lives. And I was reading a cute story this week about a, about a pilot, and he was talking to the air traffic controller, and he said, he said, I got a problem here. He said, I'm about 600 feet above the ground. I'm coming into the airport. I've lost power. What do I do? And the air traffic controller said, repeat after me, our Father, which art in heaven. 
And I think so many times in our lives as Christians, when are we the most concerned about prayer? It's when there's a crisis in our lives or in the life of somebody that we love. And I want to, I, what I want us to understand, and, and, I'm, and I've shared this with you in the past, the, and it's getting better in my life, but the weakest part of my life as a believer for many, many years, including up even into being in the ministry for 35 years, has been prayer. Not trying, because there's so much bad theology out there about it and so many wrong conceptions about what prayer is and what it is not. And so as a result, we don't end up praying like we should. And it's either a crisis that drives us to beg God to do something, like the pilot, or we just throw a blanket prayer out there like Larry the Cable Guy and bless all the missionaries. What God wants us to do is understand it is a spiritual discipline. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at four spiritual disciplines in our lives. And the first one is prayer. The two most important disciplines in the life of every believer are being in the Word of God and prayer. Spending time letting God speak to you through his word and then go back and share with him maybe what you've learned, maybe what you need to know further. One of the best ways to pray is to pray scripture back to God. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, we've talked about this before when we studied the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer, the genesis of that question, they went to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, let's think about it. How many of you know the Lord's Prayer? We just began to, you all do. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Everybody knows it. Yesterday began, really began the college football season. And for those of us at the University of Memphis fans, it began well. Into the first quarter, it's 28 to nothing. By the third quarter, Beverly Hodge was playing wide receiver. It was a... We had a good day. But I promise you, throughout the sports spectrum, football, that, pick, a, pick a sport, they're getting together, holding their hands many, many times, and what are they doing? Our Father, which art in heaven. What are they doing in the other locker room? Our Father, which art in heaven. They're both praying, and then they get through. What are they doing? Ah, let's go kill somebody. <laughs> now, Jesus was teaching them a model And the genesis of the question was, not, Lord, we want to know what to say. Jesus had even said, don't have meaningless or vain repetition as your prayer life. Don't say something just because it sounds spiritual. He he taught them. And again, the reason they asked him the question was not to teach us the words, but, Lord, we've seen how important, and this is the key, We have seen how important prayer is to you, and you are the Messiah. We've seen how much time you spend alone with the Father, and you are God. God the Son needs time alone with God the Father for that fellowship, that closeness, that spiritual discipline in your life as our Messiah. And and we see, Lord, what it has done for you. We want that. Teach us how to pray. So it's not the words that you speak, it's the discipline. So as we think about going, we think about investing in these disciplines. Number one is to 
discipline of prayer. It should be a top priority in our lives if for no other reason than the one I just shared with you because it was a top priority in the life of Jesus Christ. He is our supreme example. He is our savior. He is our master. He is our Lord. But if spending time alone, he would get up early in the morning before sunrise and spend time alone with the father, if it was that significant in his life, I'm not saying you got to get up before sunrise. I do, but my wife ain't never getting up before sunrise. That ain't going to happen, but she spends time alone praying. You you can pray without ceasing. At First Thessalonians, Paul writes to them, pray without ceasing. It's an attitude that, Lord, I want to know you better. Lord, I want to be closer to you. Prayer, here's the great theological point I want you to take away from today's message. Prayer is for you, not God. It's for you to grow, to find out what God's will is for you. That's why studying the Bible is so important. You look, God's not going to contradict what he's taught you in his word. So, so, so if you think that it's God's will for you to do something, it's a direct violation of scripture, guess what? That's not God's will for you. So your prayer life is for you to honor the Father. Jesus taught them the model. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, we want to hallow your name. Not our own, not somebody else's. We want to glorify Hallow, revere, give its proper due to your name. We want your kingdom to come. That's why we're going. As we go, we want the Great Commission literally is, as you go, make learner followers, disciples of me. That's what we are here for. And so the model teaches us that it's about us getting closer to the Father. We want the Father's kingdom to come. We want the Father's will to be done. On earth, as it is in heaven, we want God's will in our individual lives, in our family, in the life of our church, the life of our country. We want God's will because it's always perfect. It's always right. He doesn't make mistakes. I do. You do. But he does not. So it should be a top priority in our lives for two reasons. One. It was in Jesus' life. And two, it's our lifeline to our Father. It's like you've fallen over the boat, out of the boat, and you're going to drown if they don't throw you a lifeline. Well, as a believer, prayer is our lifeline to God to live every day the way he wants us to live. So you invest in that discipline in your life of prayer, and you reap the great return. Going closer to your Father that relationship, because Christianity, look at the terms that are used. It's all about, it's all relational. Father, brother, sister, family of God, children of God. All relational terms that we understand. That's why Jesus said, this is what I, you don't call him the man upstairs. You don't call him the, the, the big guy. You don't call him, he's your father. If you're a believer, he's your father. Because they understand the relationship, father, child, we understand So he said, communicate with your heavenly father and then desire that your heavenly father use you to communicate him, in this particular case, specifically for us, to our neighbors. They asked Jesus, who's your neighbor? He taught them, it's people you don't want to associate with. That's who your neighbor is. You're comfortable. 
Sometimes Jesus said, I want you to get uncomfortable. I want you to reach out to people who don't know me. Dick Hunter and I were talking about it this morning. We were talking about walking your neighborhood and praying and talking about how sad it is when he left his neighborhood to come to church. And look around, he's the only one going to church. That's kind of the way it is in my neighborhood. I know there are people in Ewing Place that go to church, but only the born-again ones only go here. Not to. I know there are people there that go, but by and large, there's a lot of homes. A lot of them aren't. You think about those sweet children. Like right now, they're hearing about Jesus all over this building. Some very special kids in my neighborhood, and I watch them run around and play, and I think about if their parents don't know the Lord, I think they're going to. No. But God may use us. You never know. He may use one of those children. We can give you examples where children have come, whether it was VBS or it's a camp or through the student ministry. The child comes, and then they go back, and then somehow you, you're going to get the parents. Sometimes they embarrass their parents into taking them to church. That's okay. What we want is to love them, let them know. Blaise Pascal, tremendous man of God, he said some amazing things, but one of them, this famous quote from him is this. There's a God-shaped vacuum in our lives that only God can fill. And your neighbors are taking, striving in every way they can to fill, fill that vacuum with all kinds of things to make them happy. And ultimately, the only thing that will fill that vacuum is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's it. And we have that. That's why it's called the pearl of great price. We have something that's incredibly and of infinite value that we possess. Salvation in Jesus Christ. And the reason we exist is to share it. The Great Commission. Go share it with your neighbors. Colossians chapter 4, context. You'd be very proud of me today. We're going to look at one verse. One verse. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. The context is going to be praying for fellow believers. The context also is that God wants you to be sensitive to your neighbors. He wants you to be gracious to your neighbors, thought-provoking as you share with them. So let's go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, and just read it. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Now, I want you to notice verse 4, we're not, verse, verse 3. We're not going to talk about these. We're just going to read them. Verse 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that would be Paul and the, those with him, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in chains. I want to share the gospel. That I may make it manifest, evident, as I ought to speak. Now, you're praying for your leaders. Now, verse 5. Walk or live your life daily in wisdom toward those who are outside, non-believers. Redeeming the time, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know now, you may know how you ought to answer each one. Again, we're not teaching verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. But you need to read that and meditate on it and pray over it this week as often as you can. Because here's what he's saying. Pray for your leaders that as 
in this case, it was Paul and uh, those with him. But you pray for the leaders of your church, that God would give us more and more opportunities to open the word, share the word with as many people as possible. But then he says, as you interact with the non-believers, those that are on the outside, understand, redeem the time. Everybody has an appointment. They don't, you don't, they don't know when they're going to die, but they're going to. It's important for us to redeem the time and understand. Season things with salt, graciousness, be thought-provoking, interact with them, talk to them, find out where they are on a deep level and love them. Don't, don't, challenge, don't judge them. Don't tell them that they're, they're wrong. Listen, and then lovingly share with them what happened at Calvary what you believe, why you believe it, and let the Holy Spirit begin to open the door to work. So how do we pray? Verse, go back to verse 2. The first point on your outline, we'll quickly run through these. Number 1, 4-2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Number 1, be persistent. The phrase continue earnestly in the New King James. And I love the Greek structure of this verb and adverb. Here's the Greek structure. Do not give up. Continually keep on praying with courageous persistence. Like if your wife wants something, is she going to say, can I have this? And, and then y'all discuss it. And you say, no, I don't think we need to do that. She going to give up? No, mine ain't. Or your children. Here's the idea. Courageous persistence. Don't pray one time and say, I did my thing and give up. Pray without ceasing. You keep coming back. Don't pray as a religious routine. Well, I, when we pray on Sunday, we go through this, we do this, or we do this at Bible study. It is to be your lifelines. We talked about earlier. It's who you are. Continue earnestly, persistently, courageously. In the Greek structure of the verb, it is a command. It is not a question. It is not a suggestion. It's not if you got time and get around to it. It is a command. So what is the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul saying to the church? And by extension, what is he saying to us? I expect you to be praying. It's not an option. I expect you to courageously, persistently pray. And in the context, it's for your leaders and for your neighbors who are not Christians. Pray for them. Pray that you'll listen to them and answer them with love. Be there. Courageously, persistently, don't give up. Continually, it's a command. Pray without ceasing. Constant fellowship with the Father. The idea here is two words on your hand. One is faithful and devoted. Faithful and devoted. Jesus in Luke chapter 18 said these words. Jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. From the lips of Jesus Christ, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's very important. Please look up here. You know people like this. You may have been here yourself. Something very difficult. I could give you example after example after example. We just don't have time. But something very difficult happens in your life or the life of someone you know or someone else that you have known, a Christian, someone dies, they lose a job, a child is injured, a lot of difficult things. And you begin to pray and it doesn't 
happen. Nothing happens. Nothing changes. And sometimes we blame God and we just give up. I was listening to a guy this morning on the radio just talking about that very thing that his wife just, they, had a chi- they lost a child and that was it for her. She wanted nothing to do with God from that moment forward. And I'm not saying that that doesn't, that, that, that's easy. It isn't easy. And I'm not telling you that it wouldn't be a struggle for me. It would be. But the bottom line for us as, as Christians is that we believe that our God is God. He doesn't make mistakes. And we come back to him. And we come back to him. We come back to him. But it's always, remember, and that's why you don't tell God what to do. You go to him. You lay out your requests, your needs, and you say, your will be done. Not mine, but yours. And so when you hear people preach, you can have whatever you want as long as you have enough faith. You know that's not biblical. Because very simply and logically, if I could have anything I want just by praying for it, I'd pray selfishly. I'd pray for money, wouldn't I? Let's be honest. Of course I would. God, the more money you give me, the more money I can give to the church. I've had people tell me that. No, you pray God's will. We could go around the room. That's what we'll do. We're going to go around the room. You're going to stand up. And you're going to say how much money you make every year. <laughs> we'll start with Ella because the answer is zero. So it's relative. Nobody makes the exact same amount. It's a, so God is about principles. We're going to talk about that one next week. I know you can't you wait to hear that. We pray because we trust. Don't give up. Here's the point. Not claiming things, but my prayer life is how I exercise my faith. I say I believe God, and in prayer, I tell him I trust him. And that I continually do that. Even though I don't see it working out, even though it's not working out in the way that I think it should, even though God seems appears to be silent in the issue, I don't give up. Because God's timing is always perfect. It's not about Randy's. It's about God's. Show me. The theme of the Bible, the entire Bible, is Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. Not a blind leap in the dark, but trusting your God, your dad, that he's going to do what's best for you. When your children come to you and expect something, you don't give it to them. Do you stop being their dad? Or of course not. But you're not going to give these two sweet ladies here that I know well that are 14 years old, their parents are not going to give them a car next week. They're going to wait till what? The right time. Right time in my life growing up was never. After what my older brother did, my dad made it real clear. You will not drive. You're not even going to get your driver's license. You're not going to go near my car. You're not going to get a car because your brother is... Ruined it for you. I still have a problem with that to this day. My brother's 68 years old. First car I had was when I went to college. 1963 Corvair. Not vet. Vare. <laughs> Fine automobile, man. The engine was in the back. I kept a case of oil in the trunk in the front because I used one every day. Now... God doesn't do things the way I want them done. But how many mistakes does he make? None. I trust him. Secondly, not only persistent, you're passionate. Look at the the verse again. 
You're passionate about it. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it. Probably the better way to translate that in the original language is watch and pray. That's the better Greek translation. Watch and pray. It's very reminiscent. The phrase began in the Old Testament when Nehemiah went back. You can read about it in the book of Nehemiah. They went back to rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem. And Ezra, they rebuilt the temple. In Nehemiah, they rebuilt Jerusalem. And in the building of Jerusalem, they had to watch and pray because they were under attack by the Samaritans. That's why they began to hate them. So they were told they put them up to watch on the wall as they built the wall and to pray. That's where the phrase came from. And Jesus used the exact same phrase. Remember, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John. He's agonizing so much he's sweating blood about going to the cross saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. The cup of judgment for our sin, it was going to be on his back. He's in such agony, he's praying, sweating blood. And he says to Peter, James, and John, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. And then he goes off to pray. And what did Peter, James, and John do? They fell asleep. Four times it tells you in there they fell asleep. They couldn't watch and pray like their master asked them to do. They fell asleep because they were unaware of the incredible danger that was all around them. The result was Peter that very night denies Jesus and James and John just disappear. Jesus has said, watch and pray. So here's the point for us. Be passionate about it. Be vigilant. God does not, Satan does not want you praying. If you don't mind raising your hand, I'll raise mine. This happens to me. I'll start praying and spending time alone with the Lord and really begin to talk to him. And, and into my mind will creep things like, I wonder how the tigers are doing now. That ever happened to you? Raise your hand. If, okay, it's good. I thought I was the only one who wasn't spiritual. So, you now I'm praying and I'm thinking, man, and, and I'll, be, I'll be just honest. So, man, I'm, I'm praying and I'm, I'm you know, going to talk to the Lord. I'm thinking, man, I get to play golf tomorrow. I hope I play better than I did last week. Come, just coming into that, that. Why? Because what does Satan not want you to do? He doesn't want you to pray and examine your heart and confess your sins and adore your God and get closer to him and be excited about going out into the world and living out your faith. He doesn't want that. He just wants you to rock along, be religious, be cool, but don't talk about it. Jesus. Don't live out your, your life. Just go play golf. Just do what you do. Work. Have a good time with your family. Don't worry about Jesus stuff. Come on. You're a good man. You're a good woman. Don't worry about it. Where God says, no, no, you're my ambassador. Remember last, you're an ambassador for Christ. And as you go, make learner followers. Got to be vigilant. It's not easy. Times will be difficult. But if you don't have a prayer life that's active, that's vibrant, that's perpetual, that's ongoing, the things that you are attacked by spiritually, by Satan, by the flesh, by other people, they will rob you of your joy, rob you of your peace, rob you. You, you won't even be thinking about loving other people. You'll be so concerned about yourself. And I'm telling you from personal experience, I've been a Christian 48 years. The most fulfilled you will ever, we're going to talk about this discipline before the month is over. The most fulfilled you will ever be in your life as a believer is when you're serving other people. You get along with God. 
You stop your complaining, your moaning, and your self-pity, and you're blaming him, and you adore him, and you confess your sin, and you're grateful for all he's done for you. A, C, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. A, C, T. And then you'll get up and you'll go act out what you believe. Because most people, even in church, people who love Jesus, most of their prayer life is spent asking God to give them something. As opposed to saying, Lord, prune me of this. Lord, make me more like Jesus in this area. Lord, forgive me here. Lord, use me. I want to be part of what the kingdom is about. How can I serve you? You'll have peace You'll have joy, but you've got to be alert and energetic and passionate about your prayer life. Think about Jesus' example and what he taught us just for a moment. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan for 40 days, he hadn't eaten. He was a man, 100% man. If you don't eat for 40 days, I don't eat for 40 minutes, I'm hungry. You go 40 days and not eat, what's the one thing that's on your mind more than, I don't care who you are, 40 days you haven't eaten, what's the one thing on your mind more than anything else? I'm hungry. I could eat a goat. Don't worry about killing it, just give me the goat. So where does Satan push his button? It's the first thing he said to him. Why don't you take this and turn it into bread? He knows what your button is. And he's going to push it. He's going to keep pushing it. He's not going to stop pushing it. That's why your prayer life is so significant. Because 1 John 4, 4, greater is he, the Holy Spirit, within you than he, Satan, who's in the world. You're not going to defeat Satan in the flesh. But he is a defeated enemy because of what Jesus did at the cross and the resurrection. So you listen to the Holy Spirit, not him. You surrender to the Holy Spirit, not give in to the flesh. Not give in to those buttons that Satan is pushing. But you've got to be vigilant. You've got to be energetic. And I think about Jesus, this temptation. We talked about the Garden of Eden, excuse me, the Garden of Gethsemane. His high priestly prayer in John 17 is amazing. I just love to read it. How he prays for us. Those who would believe in him going forward would be unified. Pray for that. Pray for your leaders, again, of your church. Daily, Jesus was with the Father. And then he taught us that it was not to be a mantra. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen, for they think they were heard for their many words, Jesus said. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have before you ask. So it begs the question, and I guarantee you, you've either asked a question or you know someone who has. If God knows everything, does he? Yes, no, he does, he's omniscient. God knows everything. Does he know what's going to happen tomorrow? He's already in tomorrow. Does he know what's going to happen two weeks from now? Yes, he knows the end from the beginning. If he knows that, why do we pray anyway? What's the point? You ever ask yourself that? I have. Because it's for us. It's for us. He has chosen to work through us And through our prayer life, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, James wrote. We don't understand how all that works, but what we do know is that he said he wants us to pray. It's about 
For example, how many of you are married? Okay, how many of you, put your hands down. How many of you love your spouse? A few of you didn't put your hands up. We'll have time afterwards. Mary and I have been married 45 years as of last week. 45 years. There's still things about my wife that I do not understand. How can you be 45 years into a marriage and still look like you did in high school? That ain't right. She should have all these wrinkles like I have and blotches like I have. She should have that. It's not right. But on pers- on, on, I, don't want, I, I think I understand her. And then I'll look over there and she's crying about something. And I'm like, what is it? Nothing. Well, I know at that point it's what? Something. <laughs> and being a man, what am I going to do? I'm finding out what this is. Why? Why am I finding out? I'm going to fix it. What does she want? She doesn't want me to fix it. What does she want? I'm still learning this after 45 years of marriage. What does she want? She wants me to listen to her and be interested in her. I'm still learning. Why does God want you to pray? Not to change him. It's because he wants you to crawl up into his lap like Jesus said, come to me as a little child. You are his children. He wants to love on his children. I have five grandchildren. I walk in here today, I walk in the building, the first person I saw was my granddaughter. And immediately my day brightened up exponentially. Why? Because I love her. She's my granddaughter. That's the coolest thing. Yet the Bible says, if I as a heavenly father or grand, earthly father or grandfather know how to do good things or give good gifts, how much more exponentially does my heavenly father know? He, the prayer is for me to get closer to my dad and say, boy, dad, you're so cool. I want to tell everybody about how cool my dad is. Those of you who are old enough like me to remember, remember the old Oscar Mayer ads from years ago? I used to use my dad can whip your dad. Like those commercials. I thought my dad was John Wayne. I didn't have a good relationship with him. But I want, as a Christian, my dad to be pleased with me. I want to know him better tomorrow than I know him today. And again, I've been a Christian 48 years, and every week I'm learning new things from Scripture. Dad, my dad's teaching me something I need to change or do better as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a neighbor. Man, at times I've been a horrible neighbor over the years. I look back. Here's opportunity. Don't give up. Be passionate about it. And then the last one is you're grateful. Look at the verse. With thanksgiving. This idea of doing everything with thanksgiving, specifically here in prayer, is a repeated emphasis of the Apostle Paul, especially in the letter to the Colossians. Over and over in here. Pardon me, I had to kill that spider. Over and over and over in the book of Colossians, he says, thanksgiving, thanksgiving, thanksgiving. Do all you do. All things... Ephesians 5.20, the Bible says this, there on your outline, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please note this very carefully. Same guy wrote it, 
the Apostle Paul, giving thanks always, perpetually, continually in your life for all things. Now, please look up here. All things means both good and bad. Because not everything's going to go the way you want it to. It's just not. All you got to do is look back over your life. You know it's not. But God says, go ahead and give me thanks. I'm, I'm doing something. That's what Romans 8, 28 means when he says he's working all things together for good. When it's a bad thing, he's working in that tapestry. That's what, that's what the word means. To make a beautiful thing when it's all said and done. So when something difficult happens in your life, God is trying to use that. He's shaping and molding you so that you can use that to reach out to somebody else who might be going through that same thing at some point. Maybe, maybe years down the road. You don't know. But understand this, he's always working good. Even though in our eyesight it's not good at the moment, he's always working good. All things. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is God's will for you to be a grateful person. I sometimes struggle with that. It is God's will for Randy to be grateful. Not a complainer, not a moaner, not, hey, Lord, how come I don't have this? Or, hey, Lord, I'm a great preacher. How come I don't have as many people as they have at Bellevue? That ain't right, God. I'm going to tell you, honestly, sometimes I struggle with the ego part of being a pastor. You know what God does when, when that, he reminds me I'm a sinner too. Who do you think you are? Trust me. You just be faithful to me. You do what I want you to do. Not Remember what, what Jesus told Peter and John? This was at the Last Supper. They're arguing over who's going to be number one, who's going to be number two in the kingdom. What did Jesus say? You quit worrying about, I'll take care of him. You do what? What I want you to do. Be grateful in all things. All times, there on your outline. Be anxious for nothing. Also written by the Apostle Paul. But in everything, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All that you do. You pray over them. You want to honor God. You don't worry about your circumstances. That's literally what this verse is saying. You don't worry about your circumstances. You take everything to God, and then you go do what God wants you to do. Honor Jesus. All your tasks. Colossians 3.17 says, do all. You look over one page in your Bible. Do all you do in the name of the Lord Jesus, always giving thanks. I know many of you are old enough to remember the old hymn, Count Your Blessings. What's the next line? Name them one by one. If, you, if you're stumped on something to pray for, but you can always pray for me, but let's say you put that one aside for a moment. If you're stumped over something to pray for, just start going back over your life and listing how good God's been to you. I think about, well, like, the man who introduced me to Jesus Christ, my wife, parents, uh, family, children, grandchildren, for all, just, you, you'll find, you'll, you'll be praying all the time. You'll be praying all the time. It's a discipline that draws you closer to Christ. Let's share a quick story with you and then we're going to be done. There's a lady named Monica. This is a true story. She was a wife and had three children. 
She died at age 56. She lived between 331 and 387 A.D. One of her children was a wayward son. He had a fiery temper and he was very immoral. He ran with a hard crowd and he openly mocked and spurned the Christian teachings of his mother. Any of us ever have a child like that? Openly mocked her and spurned it. Nevertheless, this young man's mother patiently persevered in praying for her son every day. Her son wouldn't talk to her. He mocked her repeatedly. He left where they lived and he went to Rome. She wanted to go with him part of the way. But he tricked her into spending the night at her church and she didn't get to go. He left while she was there, left her behind. She prayerfully went home, continued to pray for her son. Her son went to Milan, Italy, and he heard the preaching of the great Bishop Ambrose. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ at age of 33. That man's name was Augustine, one of the greatest fathers of the early church, St. Augustine. His mama prayed for him. She didn't give up. He became a true leader in the church. She heard about her son's conversion. Mom said, quote, now I can die. Now I can die. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, as we think about discipline in our life, specifically as we think about the discipline of prayer, we want to make sure that we're real with you because you know everything. You know every heart that's here right now, every individual. You know us. You love us. You saved us. You want us to go and share the gospel. So, Lord, I pray with Randy and everyone else that prayer would be the discipline of our hearts, coming to you, just talking to you, being honest about what's going on in our lives, but making it a discipline, a daily part of who we are to pray for our neighbors, that they too might know Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.